my name is Harry. I'm one of the residents, and I will be talking about chest pain and the role of cardiac stress testing. My goal for this talk is to first have a good framework to approach chest pain. In particular, we're going to focus on the available cardiac tests to work up a patient with chest pain and someone with maybe sort of like an intermediate to relative high risk of having underlying coronary artery disease. We're also going to briefly overview the various types of non-invasive cardiac tests available to evaluate someone presenting with chest pain to help with both the diagnosis of coronary artery disease, but also help with cardiac risk stratification. I'm going to be using the chest pain guidelines that were published by the AHA in 2021 as, um, as my primary source, and I, I really recommend reading through uh, this paper to get a very comprehensive and detailed approach to evaluation of someone coming in with chest pain. So just to go over chest pain as a symptom, it's one of the most common complaints when someone comes to the ED. Traditionally, it's been described as typical or atypical, which the AHA actually recommends against because it can be vague in its description and the chest pain as atypical can often be misinterpreted as benign. Um, when someone comes in with chest pain, the biggest concern you're having is whether this is related to the heart or not. And so with that in mind, I think a better way to describe chest pain is whether this is cardiac, possibly cardiac, or non-cardiac, which the AHA sort of recommends us uh, describing um, who, um, chest pain. I think this allows us to have a more specific framework to the potential underlying diagnosis and evaluation of chest pain. And then the last thing I'll mention with chest pain um, is the most important thing is the patient's history. Um, and that will really help you, you know, cue in and, and whether, you know, someone has the presence or absence of acute coronary syndrome. And this includes, you know, getting a good um, history of present illness, characteristics and duration of the symptoms, and sort of exploring, you know, the patient's underlying cardiovascular risk factors. Um, when someone comes in with chest pain, the first thing you always want to do is get an EKG. You want to look for ischemic changes, um, look at other sort of causes for chest pain like pericarditis, arrhythmias, electrolyte abnormalities, um, abnormal QT. And if they're in the ED and, is, and they're being worked up, um, you know, we always recommend a high sensitivity troponin, which not only has a very high negative predictive value, but also a very high sensitivity. And any sort of rise in high sensitivity troponin is indicative of myocardial injury. Um, so let's say you've worked up this patient with um, underlying chest pain, and they're not confirmed to have an active acute coronary syndrome. But based on your history, um, you're not entirely sure that, you know, this is definitely non-cardiac. And so um, they're sort of in this intermediate risk, and I think this is where stress testing and other non-invasive cardiac testing comes into play um, to really look into the cardiac ideologies of chest pain. And the, and the thing that really help us answer is that whether a patient has um, a functionally or clinically significant coronary artery disease. Before I go into the different types of stress testing, um, I'm just going to briefly talk about um, the overall sort of indications for cardiac stress testing. So the first, as we discussed, is the evaluation of symptoms suggestive of, you know, um, angina without sort of like a history of coronary artery disease. And so if you're not sure, um, stress testing can 
be very helpful to evaluate for that. Next is, you know, you know that they have underlying coronary artery disease and you want to kind of evaluate them for sort of new or worsening symptoms. Um, and stress testing can also help provide us um, insight for that. Another thing that stress testing can often help us with is um, post-MI risk stratification. And then next is, you know, perioperative risk assessment. And so um, let's say they have sort of intermediate risk for underlying coronary artery disease and they're going to go for a big surgery. Stress testing can kind of help with the cardiac clearance component with that. And then next is um, it can help with evaluating myocardial viability and hibernation. And so this can help us sort of answer the question whether, you know, reperfusing the area will help um, the cardiac function improve. And then lastly, um, you know, stress testing can be helpful for cardiac rehab and exercise um, prescription purposes. So next, I'm going to just talk about the various types of non-invasive tests available for ischemic evaluation. Um, before we go into stress testing itself, I want to briefly talk about um, coronary computed tomography angiography, CCTA for short. It's basically a CT scan of your coronary arteries, and it, it shows you the extent and severity of non-obstructive and obstructive coronary artery disease. It basically shows you what your plaques look like um, um, from sort of an anatomic standpoint. And this can also provide insight into their underlying sort of um, evaluation of coronary artery disease. Um, there's also been sort of evaluations or sort of um, more explorations of using um, fractional flow reserve, which can also be calculated in CCTAs to help us provide estimations of lesion-specific ischemia. One of the main contraindications to CCTA is, you know, um, if they cannot tolerate contrast, whether that be allergy or they have um, significant underlying kidney disease, or if they have any contraindications to beta blockers because you really want to slow that heart rate so that the CT scan can um, gate the heart to get a good image of the coronary arteries. So that was the main sort of anatomic assessment, but um, I'm going to be focusing most of this talk on the sort of functional assessment, um, which uh, is where stress cardiac uh, stress test comes into play. So first, we have our exercise ECG. And it's one of the cheapest tests available. But one of the difficulty with a stress um, exercise ECG is that it doesn't really tell you where the lesion is. And so basically, um, you have the patient exercise until um, they reach a, you know, until they're fatigued or they have limiting chest pain, or you see signs of ischemia on an ECG or they have any blood pressure drops, and you really want to get their heart rate um, at least 85% um, to their max um, heart rate, which is 220 minus their age. And, and this can kind of be a quick and easy test um, to evaluate for um, maybe a potential underlying ischemic component, and it also gives you a very good functional assessment of the patient. Uh, next, um, we have our stress echo. 
um, stress echo can be done both via exercise or pharmacological. And I will mention that even, you know, before you order a stress echo, you know, when someone comes in with chest pain, doing a bedside echo um, can also give you a wider differential for the cause of the underlying chest pain in addition to your sort of suspicion for ischemic causes. Um, this includes aortic dissection, pericardial fusion, stress cardiomyopathy, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, and so on. So stress echo is nice because it can provide information on any wall motion abnormalities, the ejection fraction, any left ventricular um, outflow tract obstruction, and sort of the other sort of anatomic assessment um, associated with the patient's chest pain. I think the main contraindications to getting a stress echo is um, often, you know, if they have really poor windows, um, maybe due to their body habitus, or maybe they have significant um, chronic lung disease like COPD, which can make um, visualization of the heart via echo uh, difficult. And then from a pharmacologic standpoint, if there's any contraindications to dibutamine, uh, stress echo is often contraindicated as well. Next, I'll be talking about um, stress nuclear myocardial perfusion imaging. Um, this includes both PET and SPECT. And both PET and SPECT provide perfusion abnormalities in specific territories. And so you're basically comparing the rest and stress states and see which areas get ischemic under stressed states. And basically what it helps us answer is, are there any areas of inducible ischemia? Um, briefly, SPECT, um, it's a much cheaper test, um, but it does have more radiation. Um, the benefit is that, you know, you can also, you can do an exercise spec or a pharmacological um, spec. Uh, the main downside is the, the quality is not as good as PET, and it's primarily a qualitative test. Um, PET, as I mentioned, it's much more expensive, but much higher quality, um, and in addition to the quali uh, qualitative aspects, it also provides quantitative sort of measurements to um, look for maybe underlying microvascular disease and sort of um, give you, gives you a little bit more of an objective um, assessment. Um, I think the main contraindications to um, both SPECT and PET from a pharmacologic standpoint is that you, know, you cannot tolerate any vasodilators. The last test I'll mention is um, cardiac stress cardiac MRI, and this can help provide both a global and regional function uh, functional assessment of the heart. Um, you can detect and localize myocardial ischemia, infarction, and you know you can, it can also similar to a PET. You can also get some insight about myocardial viability. And the other thing that cardiac MRI can provide is that it can evaluate for other causes of chest pain, such as myocarditis. Uh, the biggest downside to um, cardiac MRI is that it's expensive and it takes a lot of time. Um, I think the main contraindications to cardiac MRI, similar to um, a pharmacologic uh, nuclear test, is that you, know, you cannot tolerate vasodilators. And if they have any devices, um, the artifacts can make it very difficult to evaluate the patient's um, cardiac um, tissue. Um, I'll just briefly go over sort of absolute contraindications to stress testing in someone with chest pain. So first is, you know, if they're having an acute MI, you want to go down sort of um, the um, acute coronary syndrome pathway uh, rather than undergoing a stress test. Um, and this also includes someone who's recently had an MI, typically within the last two days. You don't want to 
reintroduce stress and cause more myocardial injury. Um, other contra absolute contraindications include any uncontrolled arrhythmias, um, if they have some severe uh, symptomatic aortic stenosis, if they have any other causes of chest pain, like an acute PE, they have acute myocarditis or pericarditis, if they have an acute aortic dissection, decompensated heart failure, all of these other causes, you know, require a more urgent evaluation for that um, particular disease and should you should sort of treat those things before undergoing a cardiac stress test. The last thing I'll mention with um, stress testing and coronary um, computed tomography angiography CCTAs is that CCTAs really help you provide an anatomic overview of the patient's underlying coronary arteries, whereas stress testing kind of helps you with um, the ischemia-guided management. And I think one way to sort of approach which groups of tests that you want to order is that typically if they're young, less than 65 years of age, um, and they have less obstructive disease or, you know, um, and they're less likely to have a lot of, um, you know, lumpy, bumpy disease, I think, you know, it's, I think it's worth getting a CCTA. It's a very quick test, uh, relatively low radiation, and it, it can give you sort of an initial assessment of their underlying coronary artery disease. But typically, you know, if they're older, greater than 65, and they likely have more significant obstructive disease, then uh, stress testing is often favored. The last thing I'll mention is that um, both the stress test component and the CCTA component can sort of augment each other's clinical sort of evaluation and diagnosis. And so if someone comes in, you know, and you get a CCTA and you're not entirely too sure about sort of the um, clinical significance of the coronary artery disease, you can always get a stress test um, to sort of further evaluate and vice versa. If you have, you know, you get a stress test, you're not entirely too sure um, what's going on, then you can also get a CCTA sort of um, to augment your sort of evaluation of their underlying ischemic disease. I think the biggest benefit of a CCTA is that it can give you um, a good descriptor of their underlying ana um, anatomy. So you can look at anomalous coronary arteries. You can also look at their aorta and their pulmonary arteries. Um, stress testing, notably PET or cardiac MRI, um, you can look for scars. Um, you can also look for um, you know underlying microvascular disease. Um, and you know, PET and cardiac MRI can give you good insights to both. So that is my talk on approach to chest pain and some of the various available tests uh, as a clinician that you can order to evaluate uh, for underlying ischemia as the cause of this chest pain. I hope this talk was helpful and uh, thank you.